love you. God is awesome, isn't he? <laughs> That's for sure. Thank you all for being here tonight on a rainy, cold Wednesday night. I'm sure you could be doing a lot of other things, but we're thankful that you're here. Those of you joining us tonight via live stream and Facebook Live, thank you as well for being with us. You know, I've often heard it said that I, I talk to a lot of people and they say they're waiting on the Lord. You know, and kind of piques your interest when they say that. And of course, I'm sure most of you have heard the joke about the man in the flood, you know, and waiting on the Lord. And he goes up on the roof and he's praying and asking God to help him and to deliver him and all that. And boat comes by and say, man, get in. I'm going to take you to safety. He said, nope, I'm waiting on the Lord. Helicopter comes by and he says, I'm, you know, come on, man, I'm going to take you to safety. I'm going to get you out of here. He said, nope, I'm waiting on the Lord. So when he dies, goes to heaven, asks God, so why didn't you deliver me? God said, well, I sent the boat and I sent the helicopter. What else do you want? But thinking about that statement, I'm waiting on the Lord. Well, if you wait on the Lord, then think about this. Waiters... What do they do? They serve. They serve. So if you're waiting on the Lord, then do what waiters do and serve. Amen? <laughs> if our ushers will go ahead and make their way, we'll give you an opportunity to give. And as they're coming, I'll do the announcements. Sunday, March the 8th, is daylight savings time. So you set your clocks up one hour. Sunday, March 8th, also... The bridge will meet in the A Center at 6 p.m., and the sign-up sheet is at Grand Central. Saturday, March the 14th, is kids' cooking class in the A Center at 9 o'clock in the morning, so you can register via the event tab for that. And Sunday, March 15th, is a very special Sunday, very special service. It's our baby dedication Sunday, so please contact the church office if you would like your baby to be dedicated. And as Always, you can stay tuned with what's happening to Grace Church via our church app or by clicking the events tab on the website. Let's pray. Father, we so love you today. We're so thankful, Lord, that you've blessed us and that we're able to give. We ask that you would take this offering, bless it, use it for the furtherance of the gospel. In Jesus' name. God bless you as you give tonight. And would you shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph as Brother Jason comes and teaches to us tonight. Good to be with you tonight, Grace Church. I love you. And I am so grateful for the impact and the influence that this church has in my life. I stand here blessed and uh, different because of you and the things that God has put together here at Grace Church. And I know that many of you feel the same. I have a, um, this is going to be just different. I don't really know what, even what to call this tonight, but I, I do believe that I've heard from the Lord, and I believe that I have something that is going to really minister to at least one person here tonight, 
I want to open this evening uh, just by asking you a question. Have you ever lost something? I'm not talking about your car keys or your phone. We, we lose phones around our house. Well, pretty much any time we want to walk out the door, it's, you know, where's my phone? I'm talking about something really important. Have you ever lost something really important? How did it make you feel? Can you remember how you felt in that moment whenever you realized, I've lost this thing? It, it wasn't where you thought it would be. Like you thought you knew where it was, but it wasn't there. And you started looking for it, and you couldn't find it anywhere. And there's that, that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach and that tornado of thoughts going through your mind. I can remember it's been some years ago, but... We had a man named Jerry who was doing some, um, some carpentry and sheetrock work at our house. My youngest son had flooded the back part of the house, and um, we took the opportunity to renovate a little bit. And Thank you, Owen. And um, Jerry had been doing some work at the house, and Julia and I left to go on a trip, and there were some pistols that belonged to my dad that were very special to me, and um, Whenever we got back from our trip, I couldn't find them. And I kind of hem-hawed around for a few days, and finally I said, I, I don't think Jerry would do that, but that guy that was working with Jerry might have. Maybe, maybe he took those pistols. And so I called Jerry, and I asked a few discreet but diplomatically phrased questions, but he understood exactly what I meant. And Jerry got very offended with me, and um, absolutely not, no way, um, there's no way that the guy that works for me would, would do something like that, and it was about two weeks later, I'm sitting there in, uh, in, in the living room, and I thought, oh no, I know exactly where those pistols are. Because before we left on that trip, I got paranoid, and I wrapped them up in a towel, and I stuck them underneath the sink in the bathroom. And I went and looked, and lo and behold, that's exactly where they were. So I called Jerry back, and I said, Jerry, man, I have to apologize. I want to apologize to you and to the guy that works for you for falsely accusing you, but... I'm the one that did something with the pistols, and I found them. And he said, that's great, and he hung up the phone. He was still not happy. And that's okay. I mean, I, I've, at this point in my life, I have become well accustomed to the taste of crow. I know a variety of ways to prepare it, and uh, it, it's, a, you know, it's a familiar taste. So it really wasn't that big a deal. But sometimes whenever you lose something, it's not really lost. You just put it in the wrong place. So I want to talk to you for a little while tonight about lost, found, and restored. We're going to read some scripture in just a moment. 
but um, I want us to pray. So would you stand with me this evening, and we'll pray, and then we'll get into the Word. Let's pray together. Lord, you have put things together so beautifully, and you know exactly who's here tonight and the things that they are dealing with and what's going on in their lives, the the things that other people around them don't even have a clue about, but you've been talking to them and dealing with them, and you've set the stage for exactly what needs to be said and done here at Grace Church tonight. So on a Wednesday night, whenever people are tired from work and their brains are tired, I'm going to ask that you would just kind of move in tonight, Lord, and, and slide right up beside the people that need to hear you most and wrap your arms around them and start talking right into their heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Let's pray uh, before. Let's pray. Before we begin, let's pray for Sister Murphy. She's not feeling well. Lord, we thank you for the healing power that flows through your hands. And I just pray that you would extend that healing power to Sister Murphy tonight. Touch her. Minister to her. Help her to feel better. Lord, and we just ask that you would cast this sickness out of her body. In Jesus' name, amen. Elisha was one of the greatest prophets in Israel's history. And uh, he was the prophet, or the protege, rather, of the prophet Elijah. Now, Elisha has an awesome backstory of totally selling out to God and his calling. And it comes at the end of 1 Kings chapter 19. Elisha comes along and sees Elisha out working in the fields. He's plowing with a team of oxen. And Elijah calls Elisha to follow him by walking by and placing his mantle on Elisha's shoulders. And Elisha asks if he can go back and tell his parents goodbye. And then Elisha slaughters the team of oxen and uses the wood from the plow to build a fire. And then he cooks the oxen and feeds the oxen that he had been plowing with to the people. And then he goes off with Elijah. And it sounds strange on the surface, but this was total commitment. This was Elisha's all-in moment. He killed and cooked his old way of life. And he was very public about it. And he made it very difficult for himself to ever go back to what he was before. It's not really the the main thrust of my efforts tonight, but maybe there are some patterns and ways of life that we could finally get out of if we would just make it more difficult on ourselves to go back. It's kind of hard to to go back to farming whenever you slaughter the oxen, cook them up on the busted plow, and then serve up barbecue with it to the rest of the town. It's going to be a little difficult to go back to farming. Elisha went on from there to be used by God to do some really cool stuff. Uh, There are at least 28 miracles attributed to Elisha throughout the book of 2 Kings. Uh, In 2 Kings chapter 2, he parted the Jordan River. In 2 Kings 3, there was the deception of the Moabite army with the Valley of Blood. 
In 2 Kings 4, there was the miracle of the widow's vessels of oil. In 2 Kings 4, there was also the prophecy that the Shunammite woman would have a son. There was also the resurrection of the Shunammite woman's son in 2 Kings chapter 4. In 2 Kings 5, there was the healing of Naaman from leprosy. And then in 2 Kings 6, there was the smiting of the Syrian army with blindness and then the restoring of their sight. I mention all of that to just point out to you that Elisha saw some stuff in his life. He took part in the miraculous. And he didn't just hear about it. He wasn't just in the room when it happened. He did it. God used him to do these incredible things. He was in the middle of it. But Elisha, his life was also full of some some bizarre and strange moments. And one of the strangest comes from 2 Kings chapter 6. Let's read some Bible. 2 Kings 6, 1 through 7. It says, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now, the place where we dwell with thee is too straight or too small for us. So let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, to go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried, And said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick, and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. The Hebrew verb there is to to make to overflow, or to cause to flood, or to cause to float. Therefore, said he, take it up to thee, and he put out his hand and took it. So in this passage in 2 Kings, we we find this group of prophets cutting down trees with axes, making beams that would be used to build a new place to meet with the prophet. They wanted to build a new fellowship hall. It's time to build the A Center. Let's all go down to the the Jordan and and cut beams for a new fellowship hall. I want us to, to really slow down and think about what's going on here because these are prophets, right? Not your average, run-of-the-mill, fickle Israelite. These are guys that are in tune with God. They have relationship. They walk with God. They walk with God's prophet. They do ministry. They work for the kingdom. These guys are all about doing work that advances the kingdom of God. We're not talking about heathens. We're not talking about men with evil motives or selfish motives. These are prophets. And they say, look, this place where we meet is too small. Let's build a bigger place where we can get together. And Elisha, who had done all of these incredible miracles, had been a part of of such great moves of God, that Elisha hears their plan and agrees that this is the right thing to do. I mean, now it's like God himself has approved I mean, do you know how used this guy is? I mean, these guys just got their building program approved by Doug Kleindenst, Morton Bustard, 
T.W. Barnes, Billy Cole, all wrapped into one. Elisha is going with them. They are in the will of God. So they're feeling it now. And, and so now one of our intrepid group of prophets gets up the nerve and asks Elisha, hey, would you come with us while we do it? Come with us while we work. And Elisha agrees. Well, I mean, now things are really going their way. I mean, they're doing something for the Lord. They've got his approval. And now they've got the prophet Elisha with them. What, what could possibly go wrong? They were doing everything right. They had the best motives. They had the best intentions. And they had the best company. Look, we, we want a bigger place to get together a better place to spend time with the voice of God, with the word of God, with the will of God. And we want that voice, that word, that will of God to be with us while we do it. That's good thinking. Anytime you're going to launch off into an effort, it's really good thinking to get God involved at every level that you can. That's honorable. That's admirable. But y'all know sometimes life still happens even whenever your motives are God-centered and your efforts are still God-approved, life just, sometimes life still happens. Y'all are pretty unresponsive so far tonight. I, I want to make sure, did you, I mean, did you catch that? Like, you can, you can live the right way, you can do the right thing, and you can do it for the right reasons, and still have difficulty in your life. Because living for God is not the absence of problems in your life. Living for God is the presence of a problem solver in your life. It's going to be one of those nights, isn't it? Let's get back to the prophets. So the prophets are down at the Jordan River, and, and they're working. They're, they're cutting trees. They're being manly. They've got their manly workflow going. They've got manly beards. They've got manly flannel robes. They've got manly work sandals. They are singing manly battle songs in the key of E minor in deep manly voices. And they are waging holy war on the forest, man, shoulder to shoulder, working together to build something for God. They've got it going on. They are getting it done, and then it happens. One of those prophets loads up to take another swing at the base of a tree, and shoop, there goes that axe head off into the middle of this muddy Jordan River. And to make things worse, the axe was borrowed. Y'all ever had that feeling? You ever borrow something and break it? Julia's dad used to hate to see me come around the house. For a multitude of reasons. He probably still does. He just hides it better. He's had years to practice, but... Whenever I first started going around the Lofton household, I was always breaking his stuff, just trying to help out. I literally broke one of his axes trying to chop firewood one day. 
I broke his lawnmower one day, just trying to mow his yard. I was just trying to help out, trying to get the guy to like me and, and trying to be useful. But then I broke it, made it worse. I hated that feeling. Y'all ever had that feeling? Well, that's how this prophet feels. Because not only did he kill the manly workflow, and not only did he ruin the mood of their manly battle songs in the key of E minor, but now he's lost something that was entrusted to him for the purpose of building the kingdom. Now, maybe, maybe the owner of that axe hadn't quite maintained it the way that he should have. Y'all ever borrowed something from somebody, and before you leave with it, they start giving you special instructions on exactly how you have to handle it, or it's going to fall apart? Go to borrow somebody's truck to move a couch, only to find out the things like a rolling death trap, just disaster waiting to happen. Now look, before you leave... Don't make any left turns or the motor's going to fall out and the whole thing's going to blow like a stick of dynamite. Just be careful. Be all right. Go to borrow a friend's weed eater. Man, you know that plastic piece that keeps the rocks from flying out and blowing out your eyeballs? That piece fell off years ago. Just, you know, be careful. It'll be all right. So maybe it was one of those deals. And, and that poor prophet had been watching that axe head just, nervous and anxious all day. Maybe the handle was split and nobody knew it. Maybe he lost his focus and hit the tree or the log the wrong way. And maybe it was just some kind of freak weird thing that happens. But whatever the case, it was a borrowed axe and he lost the axe head. It had been entrusted to him for a good purpose a godly purpose, and he lost it. So he cries out, alas, master, for it was, it was borrowed. And now there's a bunch of prophets standing around in their manly beards and flannel robes looking at the water and, and shaking their heads. Y'all have seen this too. You've seen a bunch of guys standing around looking at somebody else's problem trying to look helpful, but on the inside, they're all thinking, man, I'm glad I'm not that guy. He messed up. Somebody probably said, well, looks like you're going to be buying somebody a new axe. And then up walks the old man on the job. BT, you know this guy. He's the guy that knows all the tricks because he's seen it all. He knows how to fix everything. And Elisha takes a stick and throws it into the place in the water where the axe head fell. And the axe head immediately floats back to the surface. I don't know about you, but I've never seen iron do that before. I mean, usually whenever I throw a chunk of metal in the water, it stays at the bottom. It's a miracle. It's a weird miracle, but it's a miracle. I got to tell you, whenever I first read this story, it kind of seems like there's not a whole lot of purpose to it. 
It's just, you know, another one of those weird, quirky stories from the Bible. But there are a few things that we can learn from this story about finding things and what it means to be found. And the first thing I want to tell you here, Grace folks, is that God cares about what you've lost. No concern of yours is too small for our God. Not even a lost axe head. So what have you lost? Your purpose? A relationship? Your dream? A ministry? Your direction? Your joy? Your confidence? Your hope? Your reputation? Your faith? Someone's trust. Maybe it was one of those, but maybe it was something else. Maybe in the grand scheme of things, what it is that you've lost is it's not really some huge thing, but it's, it, just, it just matters to you. But folks, the good news tonight is that an all-powerful God cares so much about you that He will help you recover Whatever you've lost, if he knows you need it. Jesus is in the recovery of lost things business. That's what Calvary was all about. It was about the recovery of the relationship between God and his creation. That's what Jesus came to do was to redeem that which had been Lost. So if you've lost something and it matters to you, then the God who loves you, it matters to Him too. And His method of recovery is pretty interesting. God helps you find what you've lost by having you start looking where you lost it. Go back to where you got off track and allow God to help put you back on track. This is not rocket science. You may need to stop doing one thing that you've been doing and start doing something else. But your axe head isn't gone forever. It's just where you left it. It's just where you lost it. And God loves you so much, this story shows us that he will defy natural laws and gravity to get it back to you. This is such a cool story. The axe head in our text, it, it literally, it could typify anything that you've lost. But considering its function tonight, I want you to think, about it this way, that the axe head most accurately represents the cutting edge of effectiveness in what we put our hands to. The axe head is the cutting edge of passion. Have you ever lost your passion for something? 
Have things ever become a grind for you? Have you ever been working and found yourself just going through the motions because somewhere along the line, your passion for the cause disappeared? Has that ever happened to you? Passion is what makes our efforts effective. Passion keeps us working when there's still a lot of work left to be done. And if we work without passion, we just, we're just not as effective. We're still working. We're just not getting as much done. So if we think of our methods as the handle, that's the stick, then passion is the axe head. And our methods must be joined with passion. The, the axe head and, the, and the, the handle must come together and stay together. The methods and passion must come together and stay together. In the middle of your working, maybe the two have become separated. God cares that you've lost that effectiveness. And he wants to join your work, your methods, with a genuine passion for what you're doing in the kingdom. God's saying, look, you're doing a lot of work there. You really are. You're working hard. You're making some dents here and there, but if we can join up and work together, you'll be amazed at how quickly and easily things can get done whenever you put passion and method together. So if you've lost your passion... I want you to know God cares about that. And God will help you find it when you start looking at the place you were working in when you lost it. Do what the young prophet did. Cry out to God and go back to where you were and what you were doing when you last had it. And know this, if you've lost it and God knows you need it, then rest assured he already has a plan for its restoration. I'm going to say that one more time. If you've lost it, and God, whatever it is, if you've lost it and God knows you need it, he's already got a plan in place for restoring it to you. Let, let, me, let me show you in Scripture. 2 Kings chapter 8. Then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, and go thou and thine household, and sojourn wherever thou canst sojourn. For the Lord hath called for a famine, and it shall come upon the land seven years. And the woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God. She was obedient. And she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And it came to pass at the seven years' end that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines, and she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. Give me my stuff back. And the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things Elisha hath done. And it came to pass as he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life, that behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. 
And Gehazi said, my Lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed unto her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the fruits of her field since the day she left the land even until now. So this is the same Shunite woman that had built a little room onto her house for Elisha in 2 Kings 4. It's a continuation of her story. Elisha apparently passed through the land of Shunem quite a bit in his travels, and so he would often stay at this little loft apartment that this woman had built for him whenever he passed through town. And because of her generosity to the prophet, God blessed the Shunammite woman with a son. And that son died one day whenever he was out working in the field with his father. You know, it's funny the things that you'll lose whenever you're just working. It's funny the stuff that will just die whenever you're working. But Elisha prayed for him, and the boy was resurrected. So some years later in 2 Kings 8, what we just read, Elisha tells her, same woman, you need to take your family and you need to leave Shunem because there's a famine coming on the land. So go wherever you want to go. He doesn't tell her where to go. He just tells her you need to go. So she moves to the land of the Philistines for seven years. When the famine is over, she wants to come home, but she can't because during her seven-year absence, she lost her land, she lost her home, she lost her remaining possessions. So the story goes that after the famine is over, she goes to the king to ask for her stuff back. And the very moment she goes in to see the king, Gehazi, who is Elisha's servant, is telling the king all of the great miracles that Elisha had done. It's so cool the way God set this whole thing up because Gehazi had just told the king the story of how Elisha raised this Shunammite woman's son back to life and here she comes walking into the king's court with her son. And Gehazi's like, this is, this is her. This is who I was just talking about. And the king says, is this true? And she's like, here's the proof right here. Here's the kid. He's right here with me. So the king, he appoints an official to help her, and that official restores her land, restores her home, and all of the income from the past seven years. That's a cool story. Now here's the point. God told her through the prophet Elisha to leave the land of Shunem. Shunem means two resting places. It means double supports, doubly or twice reposed. It's two tranquil dwellings. That's what Shunem means. I, I really want to drive this point home with you all tonight. Whenever you're in Shunem, you're not just resting. You're really resting. You're doubly reposed. You're, you're really relaxed in Shunem. Everything is good. Everything is comfortable. As a self-proclaimed connoisseur of nap-taking, I want to tell you all there is a huge difference between plopping down in the recliner on a Sunday afternoon 
with a football game on and kind of opening one eye whenever things get really loud because somebody scores. That's one kind of nap. But there's a whole different level of nap to be had. Whenever you go into the bedroom, you close the doors, you crank the AC down to just above freezing, you turn on the fan, and you just pass out for three hours. That's a different kind of nap. That's Shunem. Y'all understand me now. That's really, really relaxed. It's doubly tranquil and peaceful. It's having twice the support that you need. It's predictable day to day. It's comfortable. It's restful. It's secure in Shunem. And the prophet told her, you need to leave this place. God's about to bring a famine on this place of rest and comfort and repose and predictability. God's God's about to mess with your comfort zone, lady. And you need to get out of here before he does. And so she went to live in Philista. She went to live in the land of the Philistines. They, They were the enemy. These people sacrificed their children by fire. God did not like these people. They were a constant thorn in Israel's side. They were a perpetual enemy. And that's where she went to live. I love how God will turn opposition into opportunity. I love how God takes problems and turns them into preservation. Somebody needs to hear me tonight. I, I, I love how God will take a path of difficulty and turn it into deliverance. How the very thing that is, that is battling against you will turn into something that blesses you whenever you're obedient. God was looking out for her. God was taking care of her. And she winds up in what seems like an awful spot, lost everything, living in the enemy's territory for seven years. But she was obedient to the word of the prophet. And it saved her life. And it saved her family. And it preserved her. And we don't know that she prospered there. Scripture doesn't tell us. It doesn't sound like it. But it didn't kill her either. She obediently entered into this this holding pattern. And it did cost her some things. For a time, she did lose her home. And for a time, she did lose her land. And for a time, she did lose her income. We've got to be careful how we look at things, folks. Holding patterns can look like defeat. Obedience can sometimes look like defeat. It can sometimes look like a setback. For seven years, she did without a home. That was her comfort zone. For seven years, she did without her land. That was her potential. And for seven years, she did without her income. That was her fruitfulness. Now, that's no big deal to us because we know the end of the story. Oh, yeah, she just rolls back in there and asks for her stuff back. King's like, great, you can have it. Not a problem for us. But let's see how well you fare being uncomfortable and unfruitful for seven years because God told you to move from where you were. So sure, it worked out for her in the end, but she didn't know that part whenever she left for Philista. 
She didn't know that part whenever she was in a holding pattern for seven years. She didn't know that part whenever she finally went before the king to beg for her stuff back. She didn't have any guarantees. She didn't have a signed contract with God's name on it. All she had was a word. But she was obedient and went where God led her to go. And yes, she was preserved, but her obedience meant that she had to grind it out for seven years in enemy territory. Y'all not liking this too much, are you? Well, here's the good part. Y'all ready? The entire time she was in Philista, homeless, landless, uncomfortable, unfruitful, the entire time she was in Philista, God already had a plan in place for her restoration. There was a king that had to be established. There was a prophet's servant that had to be put close to the king. There were miracles that had to be worked for that prophet's servant to tell the king about. God was putting the things in place that would eventually lead to her restoration. And she was living in Philista with the enemy. What an incredible God. I've had a few dreams in my life that I believe were from God. And I had one last night. Not even kidding. Message was mostly ready. Still had a few tweaks to make. I knew what I was going to talk about tonight. And I woke up this morning, early this morning, from this dream, and I was just, I was blown away. I dreamed that I was in a pawn shop, and I had found this unique stringed instrument. I'd never seen anything like it before. It, it wasn't quite an electric guitar. It wasn't quite a mandolin. It, it was some weird thing that I had never seen before. It was entirely unique, and it had a name on it. I don't remember now what the name was. You know how things are in dreams. Sometimes you just know stuff. And it, it had a name on it in my dream, and I recognized that name as being valuable. It made the instrument valuable and worthwhile because of the name that was on it. And I could tell by the construction and the design that it was a valuable instrument. It was, it was high-quality craftsmanship. So I took it to the counter to, to talk to the man that worked behind the counter about the price. And when I got to the counter, I noticed that the instrument had some serious issues. The finish was literally coming off in, in one big chunk. Like, this is the type of finish that it, that it has. Guitar aficionados call this a, a classic tobacco sunburst finish. This is the finish that it had on it. And it, 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 it was like a thin, flaky mask, barely holding on. You could pick it up, and it would just come off like a thin shell and, and, and almost crumble in, in your hands. It was so thin. But underneath that finish on this instrument, 
there was this beautiful wood grain revealed. And it, it looked like a, a star in wood grain radiating out from the center of this instrument. It was, it was the most unique and beautiful wood grain that I've ever seen on an instrument before. And in my dream, I had to have it. But on the back side, I hope somebody's listening to me tonight. On the back side of the instrument, there were some serious issues. Not just nicks and dings from roadware, but like splintering and broken wood at the worst possible place where, where the neck and the body of the instrument joined together. The wood was just splintering and, and falling apart. But I looked at it and I thought, this can be repaired. This, this can be made to work again. And out of nowhere, thank you, Steve, for your permission, but out of nowhere in my dream, in walks Steve Bunch. And he starts looking at the instrument with me and this man behind the counter. And together, the three of us work out this plan for how the instrument can be restored. And as we're having this conversation, the man behind the counter keeps reducing the price. Not because he realized it didn't have value, but because he realized that it could be restored and somebody wanted it. And if you would take it and use it and make use of it, I want you to have it. I got to tell you, Grace Church, it absolutely rocked my world. The revelation of the meaning of this dream, it came in process and in phases this morning. But there are some unique instruments here in this place tonight. Unique callings, unique purposes, unique talents and abilities. And some of them are masked. Some of them are behind this thin, crumbling, false veneer and once that comes off, something is going to be revealed in you that has never been seen before. There's going to be a unique pattern that is going to be displayed. And all of the structural issues and all of the brokenness and all of the splintered dreams and all of the messed up relationships, God has already put a plan in place for the restoration of those things in your life. And listen to me, it's going to involve other people. You're not going to do it alone. You can't restore it by yourself, but God already has a plan in place. There was a king and a servant and an official involved in restoring that stuff to that Shunammite woman. There are going to be some people here tonight, because God told me you would be here, you are going to have some things restored into your life through a process involving other people, and the beauty of what is going to be revealed is going to blow your mind. You don't believe me, do you? <laughs> God's got a plan for your restoration. And it involves other people. Look, if you're, if you're here tonight and, and you know that you are in a holding pattern, I don't want you to freak out about the perceived cost of obedience. Don't 
allow temporary places of discomfort or stymied potential or a lack of fruitfulness keep you from obedience because it's not permanent loss in the kingdom of God. Put it under the blood and ask God for restoration in his time because he's already got a plan in place. Y'all stand with me. I've done my best to deliver a burden. And I know it's not what we're what we're typically expecting on a Wednesday night. But I believe God had a message for at least one person here tonight. He wants you to know that he knows exactly where you are when you're lost, what it takes to be found, and what it takes to be restored. And so I'm going to ask you, Grace Church, it's, it's 820. I'm going to ask you if we could take about five minutes tonight and just spend some time in prayer. I believe that there's somebody here tonight that needs to have a conversation with God and talk to him about the plan that he has in place. So I'm going to ask you if we could just come down to the altar. Everybody, if you've got to leave, if you've got kids to pick up and go home, I know it's a Wednesday night. God bless you. You can go. But there's, there's somebody here, and I'm going to ask those of you that can to come down and, and, and help us. Help us pray. If you've got, Brother Chris, if you have something to play, maybe from the, from the church playlist, and, and it, just create an atmosphere where somebody can have an encounter with God. God can do a quick work right here, right now. He can do a quick work. He can, he can make it plain what you need to do and, and, and the process and the people that need to be involved. Maybe there's somebody standing close by. You just feel led to, to lay a hand on a shoulder or to grab a hand and pray with him. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what they've, what they've walked through. You don't know what's happening in their life right now. They may need your prayers so desperately tonight. God, you know exactly the plan that, that you've got in, in place and the people that are going to be involved in restoration. Lord, you know exactly the beauty of the instrument that's at stake here tonight. You know exactly the, the unique patterns and the unique sounds that are going to come out of this restoration. Lord, and you've put it all together so beautifully. God, I just pray that your anointing would be on it right now, that, that you would begin to speak to people right now, and they would be able to, to hear your voice in their ear, telling them, I, I do have a plan, and, and yes, you've been in a holding pattern, and yes, you, you may not have been as fruitful as you wanted to be, and, and maybe there are some things that you feel like you've lost, and they've they've been taken from you even while you were being obedient even while you were trying to do the things that I asked you to do even while you were trying to grow and expand the kingdom even while you were working you still feel like you lost something but I want you to know I love you too much to let you go without the things that you need I love you too much I love you too much to leave you where you're hurting and, and, and without the things that are going to make your life complete 
If you lost it and it matters to you, I want you to know tonight, child, it matters to me too. And I'm putting things in place to restore you. That broken relationship, that that crushed dream, that that splintered, that splintered ministry. I'm gonna put it back together again if you'll trust my hand to work. Oh, I believe the Spirit of God is moving and talking to some people right now. I can see people reaching out. I can see some people responding to the Spirit of God. Let's not let this moment pass. Let's just pray for a few more minutes. Let's let's create an atmosphere where God can talk to people and deal with it. The cross, the work was finished. 